Welcome to the Playback Podcast. My name is James Rath and I am your host. Today is a little bit different because we are actually here on scene at Apple's WWDC. What that is, is the Worldwide Developers Conference. App developers gather from all around the world to show off their apps, show off existing projects, or show off ones that have already been shipping. I've been very fortunate to meet some of these app developers who are working on specifically accessibility related apps. Some of them are pretty amazing and I'm going to be showing those off in a more video format, which will be available over on my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash James Rath. Apple designs with accessibility in mind. And what that has enabled me to do is pursue filmmaking and allowed me to be able to zoom in and actually see my films, things that I had a hard time on other platforms doing. So it's allowed for an efficient workflow and it really enabled me to pursue filmmaking uh, as a career. So I always give Apple feedback. I always give people specifically on the accessibility team, on the Final Cut Pro team. One of these people who I do provide feedback to is actually Sarah Herlinger and she's the director of accessibility and global initiatives here at Apple. Now, Sarah and I go back a few years, back when I went to Apple's One Infinite Loop campus to spend a GAD week, Global Accessibility Awareness Week with them. It's actually more of a day, but Apple likes to celebrate it a little bit longer, which is uh, pretty, pretty rad. During my time with Apple up during GAD week in 2017, I spoke to their employees about accessibility and representation in Hollywood, some things that I could personally speak on, and the person who moderated my talk with Ricky Pointer and Tatiana Lee, two other influencers with disabilities, Sarah Herlinger happened to be the moderator for that. So Sarah and I have had this rapport for quite a few years now, and I've always constantly given them feedback, I've always seen her at the events that I've attended. So. It was great to actually catch up and sit down with Sarah for a one-on-one, more so interview or dialogue about accessibility and what Apple had announced this week. So this year at their keynote, they actually had accessibility center stage with their brand new voice control feature. Voice control is a way that you can interact with your Mac or your iPhone or even iPad by just using your voice. It's pretty cool. And Sarah tells me a little bit more about that. Now, without any further ado, here's my full conversation with Sarah Herlinger of Apple. So today I am joined by Sarah Herlinger from Apple, and we are actually at WWDC, which is the annual Worldwide Developers Conference. Sarah, how are you today? I'm doing well. Great to see you again, James. You too. And how has today been? We we just got through the keynote. Uh, I actually just came back from the Pro Studio, which we got hands-on on all these new uh, Mac Pro demos, and it's it's just been a lot of announcements. How's that been? Well, um, DubDub is always an amazing event and uh, lots of energy, which I love. This is is my 16th year here at Apple now, so I've been to a lot of these. And um, I'm really excited about this year because it's a great year for accessibility. Speaking of accessibility, uh, as we've known, I've made many videos on Apple accessibility, on my use cases for accessibility at Apple or all my Apple products. Tell me a little bit, why does Apple in your own words, value accessibility. What do you see Apple gains or, or provides from it? Well, I think, you know, from our perspective, we just view accessibility as a basic human right. We view it as, um, you know, I guess when we make our products, we love what we make. We love that people love what we make and that they use them all the time. And so our view is that we don't want to know that there's someone out there who can't use our products. You know, we want everybody to um, have the fun and in the productivity and all the things that people use their devices for, that should be for everyone, not just for, 
you know, certain people in society, even if one would consider that the majority of people in society. It shouldn't be a majority. It should be everyone. So when we build, we build with accessibility in mind. And I think in general, that makes for a better product in the end anyway, because when you build for the margins, you think about use cases and you think about um, ways people use devices that make them better for everyone. I mean, when you start thinking about um, even something like use of a screen reader, which is essentially eyes-free use of a device, things you learn from that become valuable when you start thinking about something like CarPlay. So when we do it, we do it first and foremost for the individuals who benefit directly from the assistive technology that we build, but we just make better, simpler, more intuitive, and, and cooler products because we think about accessibility from the start. So with that in mind, accessibility does seem to benefit more than just people with disabilities. And I think that's very relevant when, you know, th there are these trends I feel like in tech sometimes. For instance, everyone's talking about dark mode. You know, the last couple yep. of years, it's been all about dark mode. And suddenly, I mean, today, one of the announcements was that iOS 13 will introduce a dark mode. But I'm kind of used to that because I've been <laughs> using Smart Invert for the last two years. And Smart Invert is one of those features that not many people in the mass may be aware of. And maybe it doesn't work exactly like um, dark mode, but it felt like a great foundation mm -hmm. that whether or not dark mode was maybe got some cues from the smart invert and the team that worked on that. I mean, you can maybe give me a little bit more insight on that, but how do you see these accessibility features translating to being used massively? Well, I think, you know, with something like dark mode, um, you know, it's a, a great new feature and one that I think a lot of people will benefit from as they, they choose to just view their devices in a different way. And yeah, Smart Invert has been around for a while and has been a, a way to to get that kind of, of darker mode um, already. You know, I, I think each serves its own purpose as people, you know, may have their own needs or wants in how they want to visually display their device. So, but I think that they are, um, you know, close siblings and therefore can provide, um, you know, can work off of each other to sort of provide some great, uh, some great tools. Speaking of people using their devices a little differently or how they want, uh, let's talk about something that was really cool and got some uh, main stage time today during the keynote, which was uh, voice control. Uh, voice control being a new feature for macOS, iPadOS, and iOS, where you can use your voice. I mean, you can, I guess, explain it better than I can, but based on what I was shown today uh, during the keynote, you can use your voice and commands, and you can also customize these commands to allow for controlling a computer, whether it's scrolling, zooming, uh, sending a message, but like not just how you would interact with Siri and kind of be, you know, a back and forth dialogue in a text box, but actually be controlling your device just based on commands. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about voice control. Yeah, I'm very excited about voice control. And yes, you did a great job of describing a lot <laughs> of that. Um, yeah, the, the idea is that it gives you full control of your um, iOS device or your Mac using just your voice. And that would involve, um, you know, elements of navigation, being able to, um, you know, open apps, to click on links, to move through elements on the screen, and to seamlessly move to things like dictating text. 
So, um, you know, perhaps you're um, going into Safari and then you dictate the URL that you want to go to and then you scroll up and down on that web page until you get to the specific link that you want and then you're able to click on that link or button and doing it all with your voice. And we've added in uh, tools for efficiency around being able to show numbers and every element, clickable element on the screen um, has a number next to it. So you could just be saying, you know, click 14 if you're on a Mac or tap 14 if you're on an iOS device or setting up a grid view on both so that every, every element of the screen is therefore a, a space on a grid that you could for example, um, you know, zoom in on a map by doing a grid overlay in maps and then saying, I want to zoom in on this specific area so that then, and then drop a pin, things like that. So all of those different kind of tapping, long presses, um, zooming, you know, all those many things, whether they be gestures or uh, things that you would do with a cursor um, and, and clicking, being able to um, do a lot of that as well. So with voice control, tell me a little bit, how do you see this being used maybe in maybe a professional setting? Is this something that's only gonna work with some basic functionality or could pro users potentially be using this in their pro applications? Is this an app on app basis or is this a whole system wide uh, UI change that, that everything will be natively adopted or developers have to kind of program their applications to uh, work correctly with, with voice control? While I would say there are some things about voice control that we've tried to do to help push it farther. So for example, with that grid element, um, allowing you to be able to um, have more fine-tuned uh, you know, navigation capabilities, it is, this is part of the accessibility API that we have been shipping for years. It's another assistive technology that takes advantage of that accessibility API. And what that means is that, yes, developers should be good uh, developing citizens and use that API because if they do, it helps with voiceover, it helps with switch control, it helps with voice control. You know, now there are multiple uh, types of assistive technologies that benefit very different use cases that all benefit from that same API. So we always encourage all developers to um, to use that as they're building their apps, um, to test their apps with the different types of assistive technologies enabled so that they can make sure that, um, you know, they are, are, the way that they're building their app is going to work properly. But for all of these, if, if they do use that API, it really does a lot of the heavy lifting to help them make their apps work for everyone. And voice control there was another product called Voice Control from Apple um, quite a few years ago, and this was before Siri. Has that been retired, much like iTunes? <laughs> <laughs> Just so we can have a new evolution of what Voice Control was. Um, this, the, yes, this is a, uh, a, a the new and improved. Um, uh, you know, this is Voice Control 2.0 on steroids, I guess. <laughs> so it's a, uh, um, a you know the idea here really is to be able to give you full functionality just using your voice. It's amazing. I'm I'm very excited to try this myself and I think I think it's awesome that this is launching alongside every the the main computing OS is like iOS, iPad OS and Mac OS all at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that that really I think allows for continuity especially when continuity has been such a big focus here with uh, Sidecar 
mm -hmm. you know, being being a feature with the uh, the iPad and 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 uh, Mac OS. I think it's great. And I think people who are using voice control and are familiar with how to use voice control on their Mac can switch over to their phone or their tablet without any kind of barriers or, or, or issues, you know, relearning how to use their device, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, to kind of your, your statement earlier about, you know, can a pro use this? I think the thing is, is we all use devices for different things. And so we did want to have it come out on both at the same time so that you know, if, if you are a Mac user, you've got it. If you are an iOS user, you've got it. And if you're someone who uses both in different times, then you have the amazing added benefit of continuity and being able to, um, to do things on your Mac and have them transfer directly to your iOS device and continue to use your voice to drive both. Yeah. It amazes me, I think, what we're able to do with these operating systems now and how many people can benefit from them, no matter what their occupation might be. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's so important to realize that we don't want to just allow people with disabilities to be able to use a phone, make a phone call or, or text message. We want them to be able to edit video. We want them to be able to write up mm -hmm. documents, presentations, a number of things, write the next hit record in logic. You know, it's, I, I think it's, it's amazing what technology can do when it's made to enable. And with the idea of Sidecar, I just wanted to bring up the iPad now is going to connect to the Mac like never before being a secondary display or a mirror display, which is really cool. Uh, I like the idea of that because I can have maybe something on my iPad that I need to just be fully hands-on with without uh, interrupting anyone else and in the way that they would view the same content. And so I can share content now with two different screens without, again, getting in the way. Um, just because me visually, I need sort of my own screen most of the time. Uh, with Sidecar, there's a new new feature called uh, Zoom in Second Display. Uh, mm -hmm. Display Zoom. Mm -hmm. Display Zoom. So this is exciting because I, this is something I, I had been hoping for for a while. Uh, as someone who uses Final Cut, I use a secondary display pretty often and I will share, I, I've shared it with you, I've shared it with other people on the accessibility team. When I'm zoomed in, I end up losing the secondary information that's on my other display. So it's great to know that that's now a feature that's something I'm gonna definitely take advantage of and something that I can now use also with an iPad as well, where I could be zooming in on the iPad, but not on the Mac and vice versa. Yeah, zoom display, sorry, it is zoom display, you, not display zoom, but you're okay. I said that backwards last time. Um, but so zoom display is a great new feature for the Mac um, that we're really excited about and that if you are someone who uses a secondary display, whether that be in your professional life in terms of um, doing things like video editing or photography or things like that, but also for individuals who might be presenting um, you know, if you want the audience to see your presentation in its standard format, but you want to be able to zoom in on uh, an element on the screen or the notes on your, you know, things like that, you can have zoom running on one of your displays and not running on the other one. So it gives you a lot more flexibility um, and customization. Awesome. And that's something I do want to just make a note of is whether or not I was the first person to say that you guys take feedback. And, and I think it's important to know um, as a user that I could send feedback in, whether it's through the feedback website or I believe you guys have openly a, a, an accessibility email. 
We do. Um, we have an email address that's accessibility at apple.com that has been a public facing email address for over 15 years now. And um, we get in a lot of feedback every day from people, a lot of email um, from people who do, um, they do provide feedback, they report bugs, they ask us questions, all kinds of things that come in. And, and that's something that we pay a lot of attention to. You know, we really want a dialogue with our users. We want to understand if even if it's just that one person's individual experience is such that based on their specific disability or perhaps multiple disabilities mean that they can, um, you know, they have a, a different need than maybe we've yet been able to solve for. So getting that feedback about what uh, what works and what doesn't work is really helpful for us to think about where we go next. And lastly, I, I wanted to ask, if you ever face any pushback, whether it be with any partners internally or, or any app developers, when trying to advocate or express accessibility in the use cases, what do you say to those people and how how has that dialogue maybe gone in the past or, or have you seen any sort of changes in people's mindsets or, or uh, products as well? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think I'm, um, I'm definitely, you know, I fall into the Pollyanna camp of being uh, an inherently believing in people's goodness. And I think that from what I've found with most um, pushback that I've received is that it generally is coming not as a reflection on people not wanting to do something, but on being nervous about doing the wrong thing or just not understanding what it is that they're supposed to do. So the, the biggest thing that we try and do is just educate. And, and part of that education is the, the why it's important, but also that it's not as difficult as people think it is. You know, in particular, if you do take accessibility on at the start, you know, if it's a part of your thought process as you are designing your app or your product or whatever it might be, you make a better product in the end and it, it becomes a lot easier to do. You know, if you have to go back and retrofit an app for accessibility, it can feel daunting versus just go ahead and properly label things as you're building your app in the first place. That takes a lot of the heavy lifting out um, right from the start. So. What we really try and do is just encourage people to think about it early and often and um, and just, you know, get it done and do everything that we can to help make that easier. And then, you know, what I find most is once people do actually embrace it and try and, um, you know, even just do some really simple things in the beginning, that they do see the value and they never go back. You know, the next app that they create, the next project that they work on, they bring that knowledge and it started to grow. So I think really across the industry, we're seeing more and more companies, um, large and small, that are embracing accessibility and, and building it into their workflows, which I think is really growing this across um, you know, everything in tech right now. Absolutely, thank you so much. And if people wanna learn more about Apple accessibility, where can they uh, find more? Uh, so apple.com slash accessibility is our kind of mini site on apple.com, although it's not very mini and that there's yeah, a, no, it is not. <laughs> a lot of pages, a lot. a lot of info. And a lot um, of cool videos. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we definitely encourage people to go there. They can find out more about, um, you know, each one of our products and then the features that are built in to support uh, different types of user needs. So um, you can, you know, go in and just sort of see 
if you're looking for a, a new iPhone, what is that? Uh, you know, what are the latest things in that iPhone that can be helpful to you, or a Mac, or you know, and really everything: HomePod, Watch, uh, Apple TV. Uh, there's there's features available across everything. Cool. Thank you so much, and I am very excited to see and hear what we will be uh, getting our hands on here at uh, WWDC for the rest of the week. Fantastic. Well, it's great to have Be sure to visit youtube.com forward slash James Rath in order to check out the documentary version of this podcast. We go a little bit further in depth with some individual scholarship winners who have made some amazing apps that are accessibility focused. I'll hear you next time.